As we get started, I want to clarify a few things. For those of you who think that you showed up at the 9 o'clock service and were 30 minutes late, it's daylight savings time. Okay? So, you, I, I know our phones automatically change, but uh, you might want to change your clocks. Um, second thing is, is that it's uh, spring break and, and change of the time. I don't really have the authority to do this, but I'm... You know, it, you, you never know how Jesus is going to work. Um, you get extra credit for being here. Okay? So when you go to heaven and you're standing at the, in the gates and Jesus has any problem with you being there, say, wait a minute, our pastor gave me extra credit. Okay? And just see if it works. Okay? I don't really have the authority, but see if it works. Um, we do want to show Cindy Palmer, Reverend Cindy Palmer, our associate, how much we appreciate her and love her. And you have permission to take your phone out. If you have her cell phone number, text her. Here's her uh, email address. Okay, you ready? C Palmer, C P A L M E R. Is that right? Uh, well, okay. C P A L M E R at firstchurch.net. Let her know we miss you. Get well. Uh, John's driving us crazy. Whatever you want to say, you know. Um, we do miss Cindy and wish her well and pray for healing as she recovers from double knee uh, replacement. Um, we are looking at the Jesus shaped life. And today we look at the Jesus-shaped life of relationships, okay? And I want to start out by telling you the story. It's from 2004, the Olympics in 2004. And a man by the name of Matthew Emmons was in the 50-meter uh, shooting contest. It's, you have to do three positions, laying down, uh, kneeling, and standing. And take 10 shots. At the 10th shot, he was so far ahead, all he did, had to do was get close to the bullseye and he would win, okay? Um, I mean, everybody expected him to win. Anyway, and so he's, you know, just relax. Don't panic. You got this one. Get it fully in the scope. Squeeze. And I mean, he hit the bullseye direct, and he was, he was trying to be real cool about it, okay, so he didn't get up and cheer. Well, he looks at the monitor that was being broadcast, and the, the target had nothing on it. And he went, what happened? I know I just hit the bullseye. The problem was he was in lane two. He hit the bullseye in lane three. And so instead of getting the gold medal, he came in eighth. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine preparing literally your whole life, getting at the highest level of performance and shooting at the wrong target? And yet so many of us do that in our lives. We, we prepare, we work, and then we realize I've been aiming at the wrong things in my life. I haven't, I haven't just missed the mark. I have missed the target. 
That's the way it is with a lot of Christians these days. Taking on the shape of Jesus, to have a Jesus-shaped life is taking on his traits and characteristics. <laughs> did, you, did you get her text? Did she text you back? Is that what it was? What did she say? Did she say anything to you? No, I, I, don't, I heard a phone. I thought maybe somebody got a text back from Cindy. I'm kind of hoping she gets like 100 texts and emails today. Wouldn't that be cool? She'll, she'll kill me tomorrow, but anyway. Um, where was I? What was I talking about? The Jesus-shaped life. Okay. Um, taking on his traits and characteristics. Taking on his traits and characteristics. And there is one trait, one trait above all the other traits, which is love. To love like Jesus. To love like Jesus. This is our target. This is our target. In, in Ephesians 5, it says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love just as Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what we're talking about today. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May these words be your words. Hide me behind the cross, O oh God, for we seek to hear your word. Not so much from me, but from your Holy Spirit, O oh God. Speak to us this day. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm, I'm going to include... Uh, several scriptures in this, but I want to focus on two. One comes from Matthew in chapter 22, the great commandment, and the other from 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to start with chapter 22 in Matthew. He says, you, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? In, in the Old Testament, depending on how you look at the, at, the, uh, at the first five books of the Old Testament, there's somewhere around 660 laws Okay, And so they asked Jesus, often there was an argument, which is the law, which, which ones are most important? Okay, Because in Jesus' day, they all had the same kind of, of, of importance. Even the Ten Commandments was considered at the same level with how long your tassels on your, on your robe were supposed to be. So Jesus, which is the most important? This is what he said. He quotes from Deuteronomy and from Numbers. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the central value in the kingdom of God. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says it is to love God and to love neighbor as self. Now, it's, it's pretty easy for us, as we, as, and I'm sure that if you've been around the church very long, you've heard this great commandment over and over again. Love God, love neighbor, love God, love neighbor. The common word there is love. So there's no way to become like Jesus unless we learn how to love. 
How do we increase our love for God and for our neighbor? How do we increase our love for others? What most of us miss as Christians is that it says, love neighbor as self. Love neighbor as self. Jesus is saying, not only do we love God and love neighbor, we're to love ourselves. And in some ways, our love for God and for neighbor is dependent upon how we see ourselves. We cannot give what we do not possess. We cannot give what we do not possess. And fortunately, God loves us more than we can ever know. And if we can just get in touch with God's love for us, to receive God's love and to know God's love for us, our uniqueness, our, our, <clears throat> our, the special way that God has loved us, then our love for others and for God can flow. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, which was a, I believe, 10th or 11th century writer, um, he divided love into four different categories. And the first was to love ourselves for our own sake. In other words, to love ourselves for what we can do for ourselves. Our possessions, our position, our influence, our intelligence, what we can do for ourselves. Second, to love God for what God gives to us, gifts and blessings. In other words, to love God for what God can do for us. In both cases, those are kind of a self-centered kind of love. But there is a third as we develop in our relationship with with God, to love God for God alone. In other words, to love God um, not for what God has done for us, but because God is God, because of the very nature of God, who God is as creator. And then finally, to love ourselves for the sake of God. In other words, to love ourselves as God loves us to love ourselves as God loves us. For Bernard, the highest degree of love was to know how much God loves us, that God literally is madly in love with us, that God has made us special. God has made us lovable. That we are made in the image of God, in God's likeness. And therefore, God wants the best for us. And, and, and the problem that we, that, we, that we deal with in this life is that, that the dark forces of this world are fighting against that love on a constant basis. It, daily if not hourly we get messages to the contrary we get messages of of <clears throat> of what our faults are what our failures are what our what our shortcomings are and all of us do i mean we're all different but we also have things that that are lovable and sometimes and my kids tell me this i don't know whether i believe it or not 
but they tell me that it is my shortcomings that make me most lovable. Uh, you know, come on, don't sympathize with them. Don't encourage them. We were made to be loved. And I think here is much of the problem is the way that we define love. We define love as, as something that we feel. Romance, a warm feeling toward another person. A, a, an attraction. And, and, and even what a person can do for us. Which is really more appreciation than it is love. But in the Bible, love is not defined as a feeling. In the Bible, love is acting in the best interest of someone else. It is a choice. It is a choice that we make for something else. Ephesians 5.2 tells us that just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, so we should love each other. Jesus acted in the best interest of you and I. When he died on the cross, when he gave himself for us, when he sacrificed for us, Jesus saw our need to be connected with, with, <clears throat> with the Father. And so he was willing to bridge that gap by dying for us, by showing us how much God loved us. A willingness to die for us. And in the Jesus-shaped life, To know that love gives us the ability to love others. In the Jesus-shaped life, to make the decision when we see need to respond. For this is the target for which we aim. When you see someone who lives a selfish life, we don't say about that person, oh, that person looks like Jesus. <laughs> That'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? No, in, instead, when we see someone that is giving their life for, for a particular person or, or giving their life for a particular group of people, we, we say, now, that's a person that is shaped like Jesus. They have a love that is sacrificial, that is giving, that is outpouring 1 John 4, 19 says this, We love because he first loved us. We cannot give what we have not received. That's the whole point. To put ourselves in a place where we can receive God's love, where we can know that love, the absolutely incredible nature of God's love, to, re to receive it through Jesus Christ so that we may be able to love like Jesus. The Apostle Paul talks about love a lot in his letters, but in, particularly in, in the, his letter to the church at Corinth, he takes it a step further. Now, a little background on the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was the most talented, wealthiest, um, uh, the most um, spiritually developed of the churches that, that Paul writes to in the New Testament. But they had a problem. They argued and they fought 
evidently a lot because the entire letter is basically a, an admonition to how they were treating each other. And in chapter 12 in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, what Paul does is that he, he is, he's talking about the spiritual gifts. He's talking about their abilities there, trying to give them a context for how they work together. He speaks of the diversity of the body of Christ. He speaks of the variety of the spiritual gifts that are meant to work together for the work of the church. He talks about the gifts in, in such a way that the lesser gifts are actually more important than what to seem to be the more, uh, the, the more visible gifts. And he says there that unless a spiritual gift gives unity to the body... We need to ask the question of whether or not this gift comes from God. They are to bring unity. He ends chapter 12 with a listing of spiritual gifts. And he says there at the end, these words, he says in verse 31, Strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Follows is chapter 13. And if you've been to very many weddings, then you've heard chapter 13 read. It's known as the love chapter. It talks about love, the nature of love, the incredible extension of love, the, how, how love in, in, incorporates and surrounds and builds up. But it begins with a warning. She have read it for you. And the warning comes like this. It says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. In other words, if I have the ability to perform miracles, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. If I sacrifice, I'm nothing? In verse 2 and 3, here's what's even more interesting. The word othen, which is a Greek word that from the root oen, which is translated nothing, Okay, I am nothing. If I give away all of my possessions, hand over my body, I gain nothing. It more fully means nothing at all or leaves no exception. It's the most negative word in the Greek language. It, um, it, implies, it implies that the particular action that it refers to shuts the door upon that for which we are seeking. In other words, without love, we shut the door on moving forward as a follower of Christ. Paul is trying to get these followers of Christ in Corinth to realize that they need each other. That the followers of Jesus Christ are, are a family. There is no such thing 
as, as a spiritual life in isolation. There's no such thing as a spiritual life in, in a vacuum. There's no such thing as I'm going to just go off and be uh, you know, spiritual on my own. Within the Christian context, within the follower of Jesus Christ, it happens within a body. It happens within a place where we can love and support each other and become a body and a unity that, that, that is shaped not only individually, but the, but the body itself is shaped like Jesus. What Paul is trying to say is that we are connected to other believers like the parts of a body are connected. We are connected by the same spiritual DNA, Jesus Christ. The problem with Corinth is that they were more focused on the actions, on the credit, than on love. Without love, they were literally shutting the door on the power of God. And it's not just Paul's words in, in, in 1 Corinthians. When we look at the whole of the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, when the Bible speaks, speaks about, um, about our relationship with each other, we're referred to as a family. As a family. Christians are called brothers and sisters, spiritual fathers and mothers. 1 John 12 says, we are adopted as children by our Heavenly Father. We are connected by this love. To be shaped like Jesus is to love like Jesus, to be connected like Him. It includes all generations, all races, all cultures, and to put one above the other defeats the purpose of, law, of love itself. In, in Paul's letter to Ephesus in chapter 4, Paul tries to give some instructions on the dangers and some of the solutions to what stands in the way of love. Now, I could go through the whole chapter, but I want to focus on two. One danger... And one solution. The danger is anger. We're all prone to anger. Poor Dan, Dan Man, Batman in the video. Yeah, whatever his name was. He was angry. And it was his anger that stood in the way of, of the possibility of relationships. Paul says in verse 26 and 27, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not let the devil get a foothold. Anger is the place where there is a foothold which divides us and sets us against each other. And Paul goes through a process by which we can resolve our anger and love each other in spite of our differences and in spite even of the hurts and damage that we might do to each other. And the solution is forgiveness. 
In Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. When we live with imperfect people, we're going to get hurt. When we interact with imperfect people, there are going to be hurt feelings. That's just the way life is. But when we forgive, we choose not to get even with those people who hurt us. And forgiving others is to be like Jesus. Now, for me, I want to tell you that I'm really good about this whole Jesus-shaped, you know, loving others, choosing to love. But this whole forgiveness thing is meddling, okay? I, I don't know about you, but there are people in my life that are just really hard to forgive. Number one, they don't care if I forgive them. They're not going to ask me for forgiveness. As far as they're concerned, they don't think that they have wronged me. And that drives me crazy. Anybody else agree with that? And if, if you don't, then you're probably not being honest. You know, I'm sorry. I know we've got some really good Christians in the room, and I've probably got a long way to go compared to, you know. Um, but when Paul talks about forgiveness here, He's not saying, if someone asks you for forgiveness, forgive them. Paul is saying to forgive no matter whether they have asked or deserve. For forgiveness frees us to love more fully. I just pray that God would teach me that lesson. That God would help me to understand. To let go. To forgive. To be free. To love. More fully. To be shaped. Like Jesus. In the seventh chapter of Acts... Um, the apostle Stephen was the first to be martyred. And if you, if you know the story, just kind of follow along with me. Stephen was arrested by Paul. This was before Paul's conversion. He was arrested. He was, he was uh, convicted of being a Christian. And the, and the penalty was to be stoned. And so they began to stone him. The last words that come from Stephen's mouth as Acts reports it is, Father, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. They didn't ask Stephen for forgiveness. They thought Stephen (laughs) deserved what he was getting. Do not hold this sin against him. Where did he get that idea? From Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed for those who were killing him. Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they are doing. Stephen bore a family resemblance to Jesus. As we forgive, we become more like Jesus. As we forgive, we become more able to love. As we forgive, we free ourselves from that which holds us back. This is one thing that has helped me, and maybe it will you, and that is forgiveness is hard, but it helps me to remember that Jesus has far more to forgive me than I have to forgive others. I need it more than anybody else in my life. When I remember that, so is there a broken relationship in your life? Is there someone you don't want to see again? Ask the Spirit to empower you to leave the scales unbalanced and forgive. For we are never more like Jesus than when we are forgiving someone else. The mark of the Christian life is love. The aim, the target for which we work is the love of Christ. Let us make sure that we've got our sights in the right place. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that accomplishing for things for Jesus doesn't really matter without love. So when the Spirit shapes us in the image of Jesus, may we open the door to love that will not only change us, but change those around us. As the Spirit makes us more and more like, shaped like Jesus, may it open the door for this body to be, to be more and more like Jesus and to love like Jesus. May we be, may we be an instrument of, of making this world a better place to live. May it start with us this day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.